Happy to see all of you today, and uh, glad for a little bit cooler day and some wonderful rain this week. If you have your Bible, take a look, if you would, at the book of Daniel in chapter 1. Daniel in chapter 1. We're continuing in in our series on the book of Daniel that we began last week. We'll still be in chapter 1 today. What do you do when you are surrounded by evil? What do you do when you're surrounded by evil? There may have been times when you have felt surrounded by evil. I certainly have. I've not had a sense of personal danger in a life-threatening way, but I have had a sense of being surrounded by evil more than once. And as we move further into our study in the book of Daniel, we should come to realize that Daniel spent his entire adult life surrounded by evil. Yet God used him in a remarkable way to represent him in an environment of evil. Most of you probably know, as we've talked about just a moment ago, some of what's going on in Afghanistan. I read an interesting blog this week by a fellow named Mark Morris who serves among refugees in the Tennessee area, some of them Afghan. This is a portion of his blog I want to read to you from last this past Monday. In early July of this year, Afghan pastors and church leaders made a difficult decision. They decided to formally register their faith with the Afghan government. Many people thought it was an absurdity to to, to register as Christians in an Islamic republic that prohibits a person from converting to Christianity. Against the advice of many, these Afghan leaders felt compelled for the sake of future generations to legally declare their true faith in Christ. What about our children and our grandchildren, they said. Someone should make this sacrifice so that the next generations can openly call themselves followers of Jesus. They registered with the government. All of us on the outside prayed, asking God to protect them from being rounded up and imprisoned the next morning. They were interviewed, but not arrested. This past weekend, we met in an Afghan English church retreat, on the, which would have been last Sunday. On the first night of the retreat, we learned that a pastor in Afghanistan has received a letter from the Taliban saying, We know who you are, we know what you do, and where to find you. By Saturday, the Taliban were at his door, but he had gone into hiding, praise God. As news arrived on Saturday that the Taliban was already walking the streets of Kabul, we wept and prayed with our Afghan friends as they scrambled to make phone calls to family members who had hoped to leave for a safer location. Nobody was able to leave. The roads and flights had already closed. Sunday morning I raised a question we all felt. We know and believe that God is sovereign, right? We all believe that He is God, perfect in every way, right? He never sins, right? But evil surrounds your brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Evil is conquering your cities, your nation. We opened Romans 9. We were confronted with our presumption in questioning the wisdom of a good and merciful God. He's the potter. We are the clay. From Romans 10, we were all reminded that we are to build our faith on Jesus, the only cornerstone that can stand firm through the storm of the Taliban. We ended with a synopsis of David Platt's admonition at a secret church gathering on the cross and suffering. He said, we must face suffering with a higher view of God. We must face suffering with a humble view of ourselves and other people. Remember that suffering and evil exist to exalt the glory of God's grace, 
as demonstrated through the suffering of Jesus. God ordains suffering for Christians in different ways, for different purposes, and through different means. Among other reasons, He leads us into suffering to refine our faith and to show His glory and to teach us to depend on Him. Finally, our good and merciful Father leads His people into the turbulent waters of suffering as part of the orchestration of His plan to complete the Great Commission. Interestingly, our song leader chose the hymn, As we closed, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And as we sang the final verse, an Afghan brother came and whispered in my ear, Ashraf Ghani, Afghanistan's president, just resigned. The Taliban are now in total control. He's whispered that to me just as we sang, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. It's Monday morning and through tears I'm giving thanks for the way God planned the weekend. With one heart we gathered to comfort one another and pray together and groan and weep together in these difficult historical moments. Since this weekend more disturbing reports are coming in and life for the Afghan church is at the beginning of a new chapter. Young Christian girls are being pursued by the Taliban. The Taliban just raided the home of another church leader and confiscated his Bibles and literature. Here in Memphis, our Afghan pastor wrote, I don't even have words to pray right now. Yet tomorrow, he will somehow broadcast a live satellite message of hope from God's Word into Afghanistan on two different social media sites. The potter is crafting his vessels for his purposes. End quote. I thought, and so it begins. God's people, surrounded by evil, with their earthly lives hanging in the balance, standing for the Lord Jesus, trusting the sovereignty of God. And while this is very stirring and challenging for me, and should be for all of us, it's really nothing new. This is the story of the people of God since the book of Genesis. And this is the testimony of Daniel. What do you do when you are surrounded by evil? Let's read Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies 
nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, Daniel or God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. What do you do when you are surrounded by evil? May I suggest from our passage four commitments that Daniel made. I'll give them to you uh, right now and then we'll kind of unpack them one at a time. The four commitments I believe Daniel made. Number one, draw your line. Number two, quietly resist. Number three, respectfully offer an alternative, both by your lifestyle choices as well as your words. But draw your line, quietly resist, respectfully offer an alternative. And then number four, trust the sovereignty of God. We've spoken about choices quite a bit in recent weeks. We all make them every day. We've talked about it, uh, as I say, for several times these last week. We have word choices, attitude choices, association choices, response choices, food choices, schedule choices, etc., etc. Hundreds of small choices that all reflect our habits and our character. Our choices reflect our values and our priorities. And people watch our choices every day and they learn who we are and what we're like. Everyone watching us develops a sense of what our values are by the choices that we make. And we who are striving to follow the Lord Jesus, we call it our testimony. It's what people believe about our relationship with the Lord because they've been watching our choices and watching our life. And as a teenager, Daniel's life has been turned upside down. He has witnessed war and death and separation and trauma in every way possible. He's been placed in a totally foreign environment. 
Every authority figure in his whole life speaks a different language, worships a different God, eats different food, has a totally different worldview. Nothing is the same for Daniel. He's socially isolated. He's spiritually isolated. He's alone in a strange place. This isn't like going to a new school in a new town or starting a new job. This is being forcibly placed in a foreign country because of a war and being forcibly drafted into the Babylonian State University system with your career path already predetermined for you. If you conform to the evil that surrounds you. This was an attempt by the Babylonians to totally brainwash Daniel and his friends into conforming to the evil that surrounded them. And Daniel was placed in a situation where he had to make three significant decisions. First, he had to take part in anti-God education. The education of the Babylonians certainly had, had no thought of the God of heaven. So Daniel had to take part every day in an anti-God educational system. But he knew that he could disregard those things that were wrong or untrue. Secondly, he had to put up with being called an anti-God name. The name Daniel, the Hebrew name Daniel, means God is my judge, or Elohim is my judge. They gave him the name Belteshazzar, may Bel protect the king, Bel being the primary Babylonian deity. They gave him the name Hananiah, whose name means the Lord or Yahweh is gracious. They gave him the name Shadrach, which means at the command of Aku, meaning uh, that's the moon god in the Babylonian system. Instead of saying, every time they spoke to him, Yahweh is gracious, they said, now you're at the command of the moon god of the Babylonians. They gave the name Michel, which means who is like Yahweh. They gave him the name Meshach, who is what Aku is, the moon god. And Azariah, which means Yahweh is my helper, they gave him the name Abednego, meaning the servant of Nebo, who was the god of education, the messenger of Bel, that primary deity. The point was to, to lead all of these young men to forget their upbringing in the faith of the Lord, to remove all memory of the God of Israel. Uh, but Daniel knew that just giving him a new name isn't going to define who he really was. So he was apparently willing to put up with that. But then thirdly, he also had to eat the king's food. And at that point, he couldn't escape what that represented. He drew his line and was determined not to cross it. As verse 8 said, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food. He, he drew his line, and he was determined not to cross it. Although that might not initially seem that important to us, the choices that Daniel made in this circumstance are going to shape the next 60 years of his life. Looking back from our perspective, Daniel's decision might even seem a little odd to us. We aren't Jews living in captivity in Babylon, so it's hard for us to understand what the big fuss was about eating the king's food at the king's table. I mean, as far as we can tell, Daniel accepted the bondage. He tolerated the ungodly aspects of his re-education. He evidently even accepted his new anti-God name. So if you're going to go along with all that, why worry about the food? What's, a, what's the big deal there? I believe there were at least three potential problems with the food served at the king's table. 
first and certainly would not have been prepared according to the law of Moses. Uh, so much of it would have been considered to be unclean. Secondly, under normal practices in the ancient world, all of the king's food would have been offered to idols, to false gods. So to eat that food in that situation would have been viewed as an endorsement of idolatry. Third, Daniel knew that sharing a meal at the king's table represented sharing the king's values. In the end, Daniel could endure the bondage, he could deal with the re-education attempts, he could tolerate the name change, he, he, could even, he could even obey the king and serve in his government. But he could not pretend to be his friend and accept his idolatry. To eat the king's food to Daniel represented a moral compromise of everything that Daniel believed about the God of Israel. Therefore, he made up his mind that he would not do it. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And when you are in a circumstance where you feel like you are surrounded by evil, you've got to draw your line. You can think, you can consider, you can plan, you can evaluate, you can pray, but you've got to draw your line. Then the second thing with Daniel is that he quietly resisted. You notice Daniel didn't charge out with the intention of starting a war. He didn't yell at anyone. He didn't threaten anyone. He didn't demand a meeting with the king to tell him why he wasn't going to eat his food. He followed the ordinary chain of command. First he spoke to Ashpenaz, the man who was commissioned by the king to oversee this re-education process. And the scripture says he requested. He gave a polite attempt to not defile himself. And when Ashpenaz refused to change their diet, and I might add, he was very gracious to Daniel as well. The scripture says that, that God had brought Daniel into favor with Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs. And so when Ashpenaz re refused, I mean, he liked to Daniel. I'm sure he just said, hey, Daniel, you're, you're a nice kid, but I don't want to die over this. I mean, if you guys don't look as good as everybody else, you know what the king's going to do to me? I mean, I'm sorry, man. I just, you know, I just can't go that way. I mean, you're, you're endangering my head to the king. So that was unsuccessful. So then Daniel approached the overseer. Older translations have the word Melzar, which is, which is a title or a position, not really a proper name. So Daniel went to the, the, the overseer that Ashpenaz had put over them, and he asked him for a 10-day test. Which brings us to our third thought. He respectfully offered an alternative by his lifestyle choices as well as his words. Daniel was tactful. Daniel was polite. Daniel was reasonable. Hey, this was a three-year re-education program. Surely a 10-day test would not be a problem. And the overseer agreed. Okay, Daniel, I'll give you a shot. You can have your 10 days. 10 days can't hurt anything. There's a certain amount of speculation regarding Daniel's diet. The the Hebrew word translated vegetables in verse 11 and verse 16 only appears here in the whole Old Testament. So there are no other passages to compare it to. But the word literally means seeds. And, and many students of Hebrew believe that it indicates the seeds of plants in the legume family, plants that grow their seeds in pods. The pods aren't generally eaten, but the seeds in the pods are eaten, harvested and stored dry until they are prepared and eaten. And you know, interestingly, nearly every English translation prior to 1960 translated the word as pulse. Uh, that's simply a Latin word for thick soup. 
made from dry beans or peas. And many of us who live in the agricultural rural West, we're familiar with that term. We know about pulse crops, dry beans, dry peas, lentils, things of that sort. Today we have lots of pulse crops. Lentils, chickpeas, also known as garbanzo beans, kidney beans, black beans, pinto beans, navy beans, all those things in that category. They're rich in fiber, they're rich in B vitamins, they're rich in proteins, and, and the earliest mention of those kinds of crops goes all the way back to the Fertile Crescent of Mesopotamia, where Babylon was located. This was the common food of working class people grown all around Babylon. <laughs> So I believe what Daniel was doing was Daniel was requesting to give up filet mignon and ribeye steak and the king's wine and instead eat bean soup and drink water. You know, when I was a kid, my mother would often bake a ham for Sunday dinner and we could be sure that sometime that next week she would be simmering for hours this huge pot of navy beans with that big chunk of ham bone in it. She'd serve it with a big pan of cornbread. It was absolutely terrific. But I'm not sure I'd want to eat it every day for 10 days. I guarantee I wouldn't want to eat it every day for the next three years. And while I'm sure that Daniel would have passed on the ham bone, because pigs are unclean animals according to Old Testament laws, most of you know, he was requesting basically to eat all sorts of dry beans and lentils and drink water, potentially for three years, rather than to defile himself in the eyes of God. That's quite an alternative. But not participating in what he viewed as a moral and spiritual compromise was far more important to him than his personal enjoyment. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. So when you are surrounded by evil, you've got to draw your line and quietly resist and offer an alternative with your words and your lifestyle. <clears throat> Do you know that the way that you and I live our lives is presenting an alternative to a searching world? If you're not going with the flow of modern culture, and the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money is different from the mainstream of society, and you're making different choices regarding education and entertainment and recreation, if, you, if that's your life, you are offering an alternative to the emptiness that most people experience in this life. You may endure hardship because of it, because your choices are different. But God will bless your testimony just like He blessed Daniel. And then the fourth thought with Daniel here in this passage is you've got to trust the sovereignty of God. That's what the people are doing in Afghanistan. They're trusting the sovereignty of God. Live or die. Daniel told the, the overseer, test us for, for ten days, then do as you see fit. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that Daniel did not say, I'll die before I'll eat the king's food. You can't make me. It's evil. It's idolatrous. I serve the God of heaven and I'll be martyred before I eat this ungodly stuff. That's not what he did. He, he laid out his alternative, and then he left it with the sovereignty of God. Daniel was absolutely determined not to defile himself. And I believe that he was convinced that God would somehow honor his commitment. But his presentation of his alternative and his attitude toward the whole situation, it was a reflection of his trust in the sovereignty of God. 
And God did bless him. At their oral exam before the king three years later, Nebuchadnezzar thought they were ten times better than all the other guys. And, the, you know, the, he talks about the, he, he continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Well, the first year of King Cyrus was 60 years later. So Daniel served in the government of Babylon under four different kings for the next 60 years. God protected Daniel. God prospered Daniel. God promoted Daniel. God used Daniel in incredible ways. Yet Daniel lived his life surrounded by evil. He lived his entire life in a culture that was hostile to his faith. He had no network of godly people to rely on. He had no faith-based bubble to hang out in. He was surrounded by evil for 60 years. He had for a while his three friends to drink water and eat bean soup with during his three years at Babylonian State University. And I'm sure he saw them occasionally over the years if their government assignments happened to overlap. But they basically had to stand alone surrounded by evil. They weren't in Judah near Solomon's temple observing the Passover every year, singing the songs of Zion, fellowshipping with the brethren every Sabbath. They were in Babylon. And throughout the Bible, even in the book of Revelation, Babylon symbolizes wickedness and rebellion against God. And Daniel lived in the middle of that godless culture for 60 years, drawing his lines, quietly resisting, living a godly, righteous alternative, and trusting the sovereignty of God. That's how you stand up for the Lord Jesus. That's how you shine the light of the gospel in a dark world. That's how you represent God's truth in a confused, messed up culture. That's what you do when you're surrounded by evil. You draw your line. You quietly resist. You offer a godly, righteous alternative by the way you live. And you trust the sovereignty of God. Way back in 1873, the well-known hymn writer Philip P. Bliss, he was, he was well-known in his day, and we still sing a number of his songs today, but Philip P. Bliss wrote a song entitled, Dare to be a Daniel. We don't sing it much anymore, but the chorus goes like this, Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. When you feel as though you are surrounded by evil, dare to be a Daniel. Let's pray. Lord, we don't know where our immediate future is going to take us. We know lots of troubles in this world, lots of challenging circumstances. We think again of those followers of Jesus in Afghanistan who are at this very moment in danger of losing their lives for Christ. Lord, we think of folks that we know in our area who are young people heading back to schools and colleges where they will be in many cases in a godless environment, surrounded by people who do not share their values who do not share their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who speak a different language in many ways, who have 
a whole different priority for what they're doing in life and why. And Lord, we know that as we work our way through the normal course of our life events and shopping and working and and socializing and just rubbing shoulders with people in our in our community we know lord that we are in many days surrounded by evil lord help us by the grace of god to have the courage that daniel had the commitment that daniel had to draw his line and say i cannot go any further than this i will not support idolatry I will not be a friend of evil. I will not laugh at sin. I will not participate in the godlessness of the culture around us. Help us, Lord, to draw that line, to continue to quietly resist, as Daniel did, living a a life that demonstrates an alternative to a searching world and trusting the sovereignty of God for whatever you choose to do with us. Lord, help us as we watch the news and see our world unravel. Help us not to be filled with fear, but may we be filled with faith, knowing and trusting that you are in control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.